Jimmy Murphy here with Pierre McGuire for another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. Turn up your volume because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, the sickest NHL podcast. It's going to be sick. Hey, Jimmy Murphy here, back with Pierre Maguire on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network. Change of location for me today, Pierre. Uh, some technical difficulties with the internet. So, uh, my good friend Jocko at Jocko's Pub in Waltham, Mass. Highly suggested if you're ever in the area. And to any of our viewers out there as well, it's about 15, 20 minutes outside of Boston. He's been kind enough to give me the little nook in the back here and some cool glass behind me too here. Good Irish feel to this pub here. Tell Jocko I give him my best and I look forward to seeing him very soon. I will. I will do that for sure. And listen, we're going to get to a, a little story about a nice pub in Sweden, but <laughs> we'll hold off that a bit. Let's talk about a team, Pierre, that is flying under the radar right now. Not many people gave him a chance when they came into the season, and that's the Nashville Predators. They went out, they got Ryan O'Reilly in free agency, they got Luke Shen, and they've they've slowly crept back into the standings here, and now they're on a five-game win streak as of Monday, really starting to put the puck in the net. What's been the key for this team? I think there's been some energy there. Barry Trotz came as a general manager replacing David Poyle. David's still very much involved in the organization, doing a great job as a senior advisor, but I think Barry brings some really – good intensity and, and focus and team building uh, abilities that maybe the team needed at that time in Nashville. He hires a guy that played for him in the American Hockey League and won a championship with him and Andrew Burnett, who had a lot of success as a head coach down with the Florida Panthers when he replaced Joel Quenville. Um, they have Todd Richards there, who's one of the great defense whisperers in the National Hockey League. Danny Hynode, who's an assistant coach with huge character. And Derek McKenzie, a guy that really made his way as a character guy. Mm -hmm. He's got serious street cred with a lot of players around the league, especially the younger guys in Nashville. So I think it's everything. It's Barry Trotz coming in. It's a staff that he implemented and put in place. And it's obviously a guy like Ryan O'Reilly that's got the Stanley Cup street cred to come into the dressing room as a free agent that chose to go to Nashville. Nashville didn't pick him. He chose to go to Nashville. And that, that you know, that kind of stood out to me, Pierre. I remember when that happened, it was kind of like, hmm, that's an interesting one there. But now we can see why. We see what he saw. And Pierre, you mentioned to me off the air, too, he saw so much of the Nashville Predators in what's obviously become such a great rivalry with the St. Louis Blues during his time in St. Louis. So he knows uh, the work ethic that he was walking into, right? Yeah, and his brother Cal was part of the organization as well. So he was very familiar with what was going on down in Nashville. And I think the way the fans carry themselves there, it's an electric environment to play mm -hmm. a game in. They're so supportive of the organization. And, and again, I think Barry brings a lot of intangibles that are really important uh, for the fan base there, for the players there, for the management team there, and for the coaching staff. He's an amazing resource. So I think that's really positive. But but here's the thing, Jimmy, and it's really important to remember this. As good as Ryan O'Reilly is and as good as Roman Yossi is, I don't think it matters at all unless they got Philip Forsberg. Yep. It's one of the truly great heists of all time. Martin Erat and Michael Latta for uh, you know a player that – Philip Forsberg is one of the great players, great forces we've had offensively in the league for years. And that was pulled off by David Poyle. And, 
you know, Martin Erat's long been gone from the NHL, but that trade happened 10 years ago. That's crazy. You think about it. It's 10 years since that deal wow. happened. And, and it just, it, was, it is truly one of the great heists of all time. Well, another guy that's kind of found the fountain of youth there for the National Predators is uh, Gus Nyquist here, and he scored a huge goal. We're going to go to that right now in a big 3-2 win over the Winnipeg Jets on Sunday. Power play of the hockey game for either team. Nyquist gets it to Yossi, and Nashville sets up. Yossi, two points already tonight. Playing catch with fours where I got put to the high slot. Backdoor, score! Gus Nyquist sneaking in to the back post and a beautiful pass by Forsberg sets him up. Yeah, just a great pass there by Forsberg. You were just speaking about him there, Pierre. And, and you know what's interesting is, is I was just listening to that goal clip. I just want to go back to Forsberg quick and then we'll talk about Nyquist. Pierre, you remember when things were starting to go south in the last couple of years with Nashville. You know, there was lots of rumors. Or are they just going to blow it up? Will they trade Forsberg? It they chose to keep him and build around him, and that's looking like it's a move that's going to pay off. Well, I think one of the great things about David Poyle is understanding the marketplace. He understood the marketplace when he was in Washington, and I think he really understands the marketplace in Nashville. And so he could have made a decision, if we trade Forsberg, how much integrity will we have in the community? And remember, for disposable dollars in Nashville, it's a pretty tough situation because not only do you have the whole country music scene, you've got the Tennessee Titans – and you've got the University of Tennessee, which is probably larger than everything combined. Yeah. So in all sports, whether it's female basketball, men's basketball, uh, you name football. it. Yeah. Football, you you name it. They they're huge. So it's a tough market for disposable income. But David realized in order to have integrity in the community, you got to keep some players. And one of them that he was really wise to keep was Philip Forsberg. Now I can tell you this: it's a good story about Philip Forsberg. You talked about okay. being in Taco's pub when I was a young hockey person i used to go into lexan a lot and i'll never forget the 2008 world junior uh like it was yesterday and it was really a highlight for the world junior tournament it was a jonathan tave shootout uh and carrie price being so stellar against the americans it was a phenomenal uh world junior and, and canada obviously wins gold but that was jonathan tave's launch point and for patrick kane that was his launch point before he went first overall in his draft because that was a draft he went first overall but in that small community of Lexan, Jimmy, there's a pub called the Bosporan Pub. I used to go there a lot, not before the game, but after the game. <laughs> and um, I remember early on in his career going up to Philip Forsberg and saying, hey, how's the Bosporan Pub doing? Is my seat still there? He goes, oh, you've been in there? I said, oh, I've been in there a lot, probably more than you. That's great. Really one of the great gathering spots for hockey people in the world and there's so many of them you could be in the western hockey league the ontario hockey league the quebec major junior league all the colleges and prep schools they all have gathering spots mm -hmm. but in lexan sweden the gathering spot for hockey people is the Bosporan pub that's awesome i'll have to get there i gotta get over to sweden pierre you know i do have a little swedish heritage in me from my mom's side so <laughs> i you know ireland's on the bucket list italy of course and then sweden as well so get over there and watch some hockey but yeah, going back to Gus Nyquist, uh, Pierre, he's always just, I've always loved him because he's hes not the flashiest guy. He's not the most skilled, but he's really smart. And he he stays within the structure of this, whatever system he's in. He adapts to it well, and he compensates maybe for lack, uh, lack of skill is kind of a harsh thing to say, but he compensates because he knows the game well. He, he thinks the game, and that's what I've always loved about his game. 
the first time I had a chance to watch him, he was just a young kid playing in Malmo for their youth team. And then he obviously came over to North America and he played for Tim Whitehead at the University of Maine. And he was really good there. Yep. Detroit, he was drafted by Detroit, I believe, in the fourth round of his draft year. They have a scout in Sweden by the name of Hawken Anderson, who is legendary in the hockey business yes. and in the scouting world. And Hawk played a big role in, in drafting Gus, but so did Tim Whitehead in terms of developing him. And one of the things, and Jimmy, we've talked about this off the air, one of the things that was really beneficial for a lot of those young Red Wing players when they were drafted, they were coming into a time of the Red Wings organization where leadership and winning was so apparent. Mm -hmm. So you learn from Eisenman, you learn from Shanahan, you learn from Lidstrom, you learn from Larry Onoff, you learn from Fatisov, you learn from the great Scotty Bowman, you learn from the Hall of Famer, Kenny Holland, Chris Draper. I mean, I can go on and on. All the people that you learn from when you're a young player doing your chores in Detroit. And Gus Nyquist really was a beneficiary of learning from those guys. And I think that's equated to the length of his career. I really do, Jimmy. It's I, I can't say enough about legacy from different organizations. And yes. the guys over the last 20 years have been fortunate enough to play in Detroit. They're part of an amazing legacy. They really are. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I cover the Bruins here. And I just see what they've had over the last 15 to 17 years, Pierre, and how they've kind of kept that legacy going throughout and it's translated into three Stanley Cup appearances and one Stanley Cup win. So I know what you're talking about firsthand. Um, but yeah, this is a team, Pierre. I mean, I'm I'm impressed. And I, I think that, you know, if you look at that central division, it's not easy. Uh, and they beat a good Winnipeg Jets team. We, we were very high in the Jets heading into this past weekend. Um, but they've got a shot. They do. And they've got some cap space to work with. So this is a team to watch as we go on in this season. I love what you just said, and here's the truth is you go look at Winnipeg. They go into Tampa and win. They go into Florida and not only win, they shut them out. Then they go, you know, obviously into a tough place in Nashville. and They probably were out of gas. That being said, um, that Winnipeg team's legit, and to beat them, that's a big statement by Nashville. Now, here's another thing. Roman Yossi is arguably one of the better puck-moving defensemen in the league, but we don't talk enough about Tyson Berry. We don't talk mm -hmm. enough about Alex Carrier. We don't talk enough about Dante Fabro. These are all guys that can move the puck. They're, yep. they're really a tough team to forecheck. And as well as UC Saros has played in years past, I don't think this has been his best start to the year, Jimmy. No. I think he's going to get better here. Um, and that's really positive for them too. But I love the energy that's around their group right now. And that all started, I think, when Barry went in, hired Andrew Burnett and the people that Andrew surrounded himself with and, I think it's been huge getting O'Reilly, as you said, right off the top. And I'm happy for Burnett, too. I mean, gets a second chance. He he really did such a great job there in Florida when he took over for Quinville. And, you know, we all know what happened in Jersey. But then he gets a second chance here from Barry, and he's making the best of it. I, I love the way he thinks the game. I loved it as a player. I remember those days with the Minnesota Wild and those wars they had with the Avalanche back in the day in the playoffs. And I, I've always loved the way that he has thought the game and just his tenacity as well. Well, he's always been a really smart player because he wasn't really fast. He was yep. actually, uh, you know, kind of an awkward skater, but he's a bigger guy that could get to the net. He had really good hands. He was strong on his stick. Um, you know, you can – I remember when he was playing junior, you know, you're going to laugh at me because it's just one of the weird quirks that I have when I go scout games. Who did the guy play with? Well, when he was playing in Owen Sound, he played with Kirk Malpe and Scott Walker. Oh, wow. So you think about that line. Yeah. You know, Malpy's been an amazing, uh, not just a player, but an amazing player procurement guy 
for Detroit and Edmonton. He's really like an elite, elite hockey guy. And then you look at Scott Walker, and he's been a tremendous coach yep. and another elite hockey guy that had a tremendous playing career. And then you see Andrew Burnett. Like, could you imagine? That was a line and junior that played together. Wow. Yeah. That's a hell of a line right there. I'm sure any NHL team would have loved it as well. Hey, Pierre, one team, though, that's not doing so well. We'll switch over to the Eastern Conference right now. A lot of high hopes for them. You know, we, we talked about how Nashville kind of flew under the radar. Well, the Ottawa Senators didn't fly under the radar at all. I mean, they they had the hype train going in Ottawa and around the NHL. Obviously, you're familiar with the team as well. You, you know the coaching staff well. Um, it, it's got to be tough for you just, just being friends with those guys to see the struggling start they've had to this season. Now we're two months in, and things are about to get real difficult. And, you know, if they blink, they could be out of it by January, Pierre. They have a gigantic game on Monday night against the Florida Panthers at home because their month of December is hellacious. It's 15 games. It's a long Western road trip with a lot of time zone travel. You're talking about central time zone, mountain time zone, and also Pacific time zone. I mean, this is not going to be an easy month of December for them. But before they get to December, it's got to be Kachuk versus Kachuk, Brady versus Matthew in Ottawa Monday night. And that's not going to be easy, Jimmy. It's going to yep. be really tough for them. Ottawa's dealt with a lot of injuries, especially on the back end. They've dealt with some goaltending issues, obviously injuries, and also some mediocre play in goal. But I'm going to tell you this, and again, I'm probably biased. You said they were my friends. They are. But they're also respected colleagues. Mm -hmm. DJ Smith's an outstanding person and a great hockey coach. Jack Capuano, Davis Payne, Bob Jones, you know, you can go down the line. Ben Sexton, these are tremendous hockey people. They didn't just get jobs because they're nice guys. They got jobs because they're really competent people. Davis has been a head coach in the NHL. Jack's yep. been a head coach in the NHL. DJ Smith learned from some amazing people over time, especially obviously working with Mike Babcock in Toronto. But I, you know, I can tell you right now, I don't think this is a coaching issue in, in Ottawa. I really don't. I just think it's young players still learning mm -hmm. how to win in a pressurized environment. And they know now because of their tough start, Jimmy. They don't have any room for error. They play 15 games in the month of December. If they don't have a successful month, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. And it's hard. Can you imagine again, mm. um, you know, seven years since you made the playoffs and, and you, by the end of December, you, you're going to know one way or the other if you got a chance or not. You really yeah. are. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Steve Stales comes in, Pierre, uh, last month, and he comes in. And, you know, it's almost – like, how do you really get a feel for it? Like, how do you have the time to get the feel? You have to do everything on the run. Everything, everything's happening so fast. Is he able to just get the vibe and, and gauge that team and, and realize what needs to be done and what needs to be done in a hurry? Or is it, is that just impossible? I mean, no, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. One of the positive things for him is he had a chance to come in. Michael Landlauer got the team in September. And so there was a, probably the worst guarded secret in the league that he was going to be going there. He was working in the national hockey league with Edmonton. So he did have a chance to know the roster of the team. Once he got there, you get to meet the players. They hired Daniel Offertson and Daniel's been around the team yeah. for a long, long time. And I think that's a positive thing for their group. Um, and and the, to me, the biggest thing was their trip to Sweden. You have a chance to spend almost 10 days internally with those yeah, guys yeah. in a very unique situation. Yep. So I think Steve has been able to get up to speed pretty quickly there um, in Ottawa. So that's a positive thing. But to me, again, it comes down to managing their young guys. A lot of their best players are young players. Mm -hmm. 
managing the scrutiny and the pressure of playing in a hockey environment that is Ottawa. I can tell you, I lived there. I loved it there. Um, it, it is an amazing market. It really is. And yeah. the fans deserve the very best they can have. And I think under Michael Landlauer and Stephen, they'll get it. I just don't know if it'll happen as quickly as everybody wants it to. And, and Pierre, you know, not to continue too much on them, but just your take, you don't have to get into what you re may really know, but just your take on if this goes south here, right, and they don't make the playoffs again, how much of an effect does that have on the potential of getting the arena downtown? I don't know if it has any effect at all okay. on getting the arena downtown. I think that's more of a business situation than it is an athletic situation because it would involve um, a lot more than just hockey. When they, it's going to involve politics. It's going to yep. involve concert promotion. It's going to involve a lot of different things. So um, I think that's where, you know, if you're looking at it, it's more of a political football than it is an athletic football. But winning always helps, right? Oh, it doesn't work. <laughs> it I'll, never, I'll never forget working in Hartford and Mr. Gordon, who is a great, like, treated me fantastic and our group really, really well. I'll never forget him saying, bring in all these consultants. And I put my hand up in one of the meetings. I said, I got an idea for you guys. And they go, what's that? I said, we got to start winning. That's the best <laughs> advertising. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Pierre, one guy that's done plenty of winning over his coaching career is one Fred Harvardson, and you know him well. Your son played for him over in Pentagon, and this guy is a legend in the game. Obviously, probably people in the States don't know enough about him, but he has developed plenty of players, and we're going to get him on right here. It's my pleasure to welcome probably one of the best coaches in all of Canadian junior hockey, and I'm talking major junior hockey, tier two junior hockey, junior A hockey. We're talking to the great Fred Harbinson, the master producer of the Penticton V's. Coach, great to see you. Great to see you, Pierre. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm up in the North Country, as you can probably see from my surroundings, and I know you're probably in your office recruiting. Yeah. Well, yeah, recruiting never ends, as you know, but we're also getting ready for uh, for practice. We've, uh, we've got a midweek game, so the boys are getting ready this morning. Fred, one of the reasons why I decided to do this podcast is to go into the folklore of the game, the positive energy of the game, and people like you that help grow the game. Can you talk about your journey to how you got to where you are with the Penticton Bees? Oh, yeah. I know it's uh, it, it was kind of an interesting one. I was uh, coaching at, at St. Cloud State. I had coached in the USHL prior to that and, and uh, you know, a few other stops before that as well. And, and, um, and basically got a call from – at the time, the ownership group um, here in Penticton, and, and I was working for Bob Motzko at St. Cloud, and I remember the first time they called, I, I wasn't overly interested in maybe coming back to, to Canada Junior, and, and, you know, they called a second time, explained that they were put, putting a brand-new rink in here, and, you know, I knew about the, the history, and obviously growing up in Western Canada, myself from Calgary, um, came and visited and, and uh, thought maybe I'd be here a year, and, and uh, you know, 17 years later, I'm still here. You started out as a general manager and coach, and now you're the president, general manager and yeah. coach. I'm not sure there are a lot of people, whether they're in the NHL, the American Hockey League, major junior hockey, or even junior hockey that have all three of those titles. How hard is it to have all three of those titles? Well, you have to have great people around you. Obviously, you know that you've worked in the game or you work in the game. And and uh, and so I've got, you know, I've had great staffs here all the time that, that make things easy. And the biggest thing is probably – the owner I, I worked for, as I mentioned, when I first came here, uh, the group after my first season, 
We actually won the championship and hadn't won since 86. It was an exciting time. We're getting ready to move into the new building. And then a new uh, owner took over, a guy named Graham Fraser, Graham and Sue Fraser. Uh, he owned Ironman uh, Canada, never knew Graham. And, and it's something that uh, really took off. And, and, you know, so, you know, having the different hats is is difficult, but it's it's also easy when you work for a great owner like like Graham, who, who gives you all the tools here to to make kind of what our team is today, you know, and, it, it, and, you know, obviously there was a ton of history that went back. We have, you know, history that goes back into the fifties and sixties here. Um, but it was kind of in the new era. It's something that we're pretty proud of our consistency and how this thing has grown into what it is today. What's amazing to me is you're on speed dial to almost every division one coach in the country, in the United States. And you're also on speed dial to almost every director or player personnel in the national hockey league. And just to show the listeners and the viewers out there some of the recent names that have played for you, Tyson Jost, Ryan Johansson, Dante Fabro, Mike Riley, Troy Stetcher, Stephen Fogarty, Zach Dalpe, Bo Bennett. I mean, I'm just rattling those off the top of my head. And there are numerous other ones that haven't played in the National Hockey League yet that will, including Bradley Nadeau, who you had last year, who's the 30th overall pick of the Carolina Hurricanes. How do you keep getting all these good players? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think um... – you know, over time, it, you know, it starts feeding itself a little bit. you got to stay on top of things, as you mentioned. Um, but I think it goes back to, you know, kind of our, our structure here. You know, we we are very committed to a structured day. Um, I think we have a lot of fun. Our guys have a blast playing here. But at the same time, you know, the NHL teams, the college teams, they know over a long period of time that we have a certain standard that we stick to. Uh, you know, our days, like right from the morning, when they show up here in the morning, our skill ice from our full-time strength coach, to, you know, having a video coach, uh, you know, all the different aspects, all you know, are, are at our fingertips here. Um, and so the players see that. And I think we've done a good job of marriaging the individual player development along with winning championships, winning games. Um, and I think part, I, I always sell to our, our families um, that part of player development is playing in front of big crowds and playing in front of big moments, playing in game sevens. And we've done a lot of that over my time here. You talked about the families. I just want the people at home listening to this to understand some of the families that are hockey royalty that you've actually had there. You've had the two Niedermeyer boys, Jackson and Josh. You've had the two Richter boys there. You've had Mike Sillinger's son there. You've had Joe Neuendijk's son there. Billy Armstrong, the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. You had his son, Jamie, there, Stu Barnes. Uh, you know, who played in the National Hockey League for a long time and had a lot of success. You had his son. So you've had a lot of NHL families come to play for you, Fred. Do you ever do you ever feel like they want to encroach on you and they want to tell you how to do it? Or you just say, no, nope, this is how we do it here in Penticton. Oh, it's funny. You say, you know, that's a great question. And we've even had, you know, NCAA coaches like Sandlin and Lucia and, and Sarah Torrey. To be honest with you, the hockey guys are the easy ones. Um, you know, they, they, you know, they're not living through their kids. They, they've done their thing. And, um, and in, in 99% of the time, they kind of just trust the process and, and let you do your thing and let their, you know, let their sons kind of stand on their own two feet, which is, which is obviously refreshing in today's day and age. And, um, hockey's a small world as we know. I mean, the world's small and it, it, nowadays the way with internet and everything else. So, but it's like the hockey circle is so tight and, they all talk, they all know each other. And that's where, you know, you get, you have a good experience with one or two. And then all of a sudden it snowballs into the list that you mentioned in a few more. 
One of the things that uh, I'm going to be totally transparent on this uh, aspect of it, the first time I ever saw Fred Harbinson play was 1989. He was with the Calgary Buffaloes. He was playing in the Air Canada Cup for a guy by the name of Garth Malarchuk, who's still working for the Toronto Maple Leafs after all these years. Uh, you got to tell me, how much of an influence was Garth on your career, Fred? You know what, Garth? You know, Garth was an intimidating guy. As you know, back in those days, coaches were a little intimidating, but you knew that he cared about you. And in the probably, you know, one of the things that I really am strong on with our program here that comes from him is, and, uh, you know, he, he was big on accountability and habit. Like everyone talks about culture, culture is habits and accountability is what it is. And that's what I learned from Garth. Everything we did. Um, he, you know, you had to have really good habits, not just on the ice, but he would even probably more so away from the rank. He wanted you to be, you know, a good person and structured in your day and, you know, everything. Our lot, I remember that's, you know, you know, you'd play, you played for a long time, but when you get to that age, that was kind of the first year where you're really in a full-time, you know, sort of big, more of a big time program. And just the way our locker room was set every day, it was just, everything was about excellence. And, um, yeah, like you said, I still see him. He, he lives in Kelowna and scouts for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, um, you know, he put us through some, some tough ones that you, he probably couldn't get away with some of the stuff now, but you know what, I'm not one of those guys that looks back. I look at it and say, Hey, he, he, he grew me as a person. Um, I've had a few other coaches in the same way that were kind of hard on us, but in, in the right way. There were two players that I distinctly remember from your Calgary Buffaloes team. One was Michael Stewart, who ended up going to Michigan State, and he was a first-round pick of the New York Rangers. And the other one was Scott Longstaff. Do you ever see those guys anymore? I, I ran into Stewie a few years ago at the Calgary Stampede, and and I haven't seen Scotty in a while. But, um, but yeah, Scotty went on. I mean, he had an amazing uh, – he actually played in the BC Oculi here in Vernon down the road in one of our rivals and, and put up some insane points as well. And – um, but I do stay in touch with a lot of those guys. Uh, some of them are real close friends. And there was a, a handful of us, a, a good group of us, the following year went on and won the championship in the, the Alberta Junior League with the Calgary Canucks. So it was a couple special years in a row. And it's and, and like everybody knows, like same with our teams here. When you when you win, you kind of you, you always have a bond for, for the rest of your life with them. Why is the BC Hockey League such a great development league, especially for U.S. college programs? Uh, I think we, I think it starts with our owners. Again, I think um, our owners do it, you know, do it for the right reasons. I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of teams in our league, uh, you know, are, are play a real fast paced, you know, speed type game, a game that, uh, that is conducive to translating well into, into college hockey. And, and um, you know, here with our program, we've had, you know, so many players, like I think, right, like you mentioned earlier, I think we've got 19 guys already with division one scholarships on our team, a couple other guys are in discussions. Uh, we've got four draft picks on our team. So the, the, the you know, the level of, uh, of player has just grown and grown over my time here in Penticton. And it's like exciting to see what's next uh, over the next few years. When you think about all the players that you've had come through there, is there one thing you say, yep, I can see why this guy's going to make it, or I can see why this guy's not going to make it. Yeah, it's uh, well, the one thing that always separates is, is the guys that don't look at it as practice. It's just something that they love to do. And, and you know, it's big, it, it starts with the individual and then it gets contagious on your team. And, you know, last year, you know, we had a, you know, a gen, I've had two generational teams here, my 2011-12 team. And then last year, both very similar um, in the fact that, uh, 
you know, I'd come in on a Sunday and almost the whole team would be in like unbeknownst doing an extra workout in our gym. Um, those kind of, the, you know, the top players are always looking for extra time on the ice in the mornings. You have to kick them off uh, the ice and skill ice. Uh, you know, they want to do extra video. It doesn't seem like practice to them. They just love it. They want to be there um, and they're coachable. They're, they're willing to change. Just like everything in our lives, change is always hard. Uh, but the ones that are willing to understand um, to make little tweaks in their game, they're the ones that usually, because I, the one thing I always say is if you're going to play in the national hockey league, you can't be, unless you're the elite of the elite, you need to have a backup game. And it's something that we try to work on to try to make our guys, if they're, if they're great in one area, we try to make sure that they got two or three other things they can fall back on that. If they're not scoring, maybe they're, you know, they're doing something else and, um, and that'll give them the best chance to play at the highest level. Before you talked about Bob Motzko and the fact that you worked for him at St. Cloud State. He's now currently the head coach at the University of Minnesota. He's won a world junior goal as a head coach for Team USA. What did Bob help you with that made you a better coach? Well, in the few years, I mean, and I got to, I knew Bob before the couple of years I worked with him. He, when you talk about tireless recruiter, uh, that would be Bob. You know, he ne never, you know, I think he sleeps with one eye. <laughs> eye open right and and not, nothing gets by him and it's uh when i came here i think it's one of the things i i, I learned like um you know obviously I, I learned a lot from my parents my parents have a high high work ethic and it's something that i got from them but some of the people that i worked for bob mosco uh steve nelson in college that was a saint lawrence guy uh dave Cisliano, those guys you know were all real hard workers but bob um you know, he would he, back in those days, you know, he'd find you find the guy in the most obscure place. He would outwork you. And that's something I've taken a lot of pride in in my time here in Penticton. Just so everybody knows, Steve Nelson, who coached at Wisconsin Superior, he's a proud St. Lawrence guy. And I I've known Nelly for a long time and he's a hockey guy. There's no question about that. He definitely is. Fred, I got to ask you one more before I let you go. How is it that so many kids from the East end up playing in the BCHL compared to most of the other leagues? Well, it's, it's a beautiful area. I mean, when I talk about our program, I mean, we're a unique spot here. It's, you know, you got, you know, you have the mountains surrounding us. You've got, you know, our, our city is, is snap dabbing between two lakes. Um, we have a huge fan base. Like our, our whole league draws pretty darn well. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, here we are a town of 30,000. We get over 3,000, you know, we have 10 to 15% of our population at a, at a game every night. Uh, the scouts come to our games all the time, like as we as we've already been talking about. We play a you know a, a real high tempo style that's you know conducive to getting players ready for for the next level. Um, so I think even like like you said, I, I actually have a Zoom call later this afternoon with a, a East Coast boy uh, over the East Coast family, and and you know we've had a long run of it, and our whole league has, and so you know I think again it's you know you treat you got to treat the players the right way, you give them the tools. You make sure you're developing them on and off the ice because, you know, for me, it's not just about the, the, the on-ice product. It's about the, the, the full for the full man at the age of 16 to 20, and a lot of teams in our league are doing that. Well, as somebody that's had somebody that played for you, my son, we're so grateful as a family. We had a chance to be part of your program, and uh, I know my son cherishes every day that he had a chance to play for you. So thanks for that, Fred. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate uh, you guys, and I appreciate you having me on here, Pierre. Thanks a lot. Take care, Fred. Best of luck down the road. And they're so lucky to have you in Penticton. Just so everybody knows, Fred just signed a five-year extension to remain as president, general manager, and coach of the Penticton Bees.
Do you have an out clause, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going anywhere for a while here. <laughs> I don't think you are either. You should be, but you're not. Thanks so much for doing this, Coach. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Play me out. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.